You're listening to the Health Coach Careers Podcast, brought to you by Wellpreneur. Learn what it's really like to be a health coach in these interviews with real, successful health coaches. These interviews originally aired on the Wellpreneur Podcast, and they're hosted by me, Wellpreneur founder, Amanda Cook. I hope they give you inspiration and insight into planning your own health coaching career. Are you thinking about becoming a health coach? I know it's a big decision. I know I had a lot of questions, fears, and excitement when I took the leap to become a health coach while I was still working full-time. That's why I've created a free health coach decision kit to help you decide if it's the right next step for you. Download the decision kit at wellpreneur.com slash decision kit. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I am loving this week's guest. It's somebody that you might be familiar with. This week, I have health coach Elizabeth Ryder here joining me on the Wellpreneur Podcast. And Elizabeth is one of the very first people I found online when I started looking into health coaching. She had that website that would come up in one of the top results whenever you Google health coaching. And she's been around for quite a few years and has established a really strong online reputation in the industry. And so I really wanted to have her on the show to talk about kind of her journey and how she's grown her business and what it looks like today. And also talk about some techie things on the back end, like how did she get to rank so well in these search results? What she do for SEO? How does she approach content? And of course, what are her personal routines and how does she stay balanced as a wellpreneur? These days, Elizabeth has taken more than 10,000 people through her online courses, and now she even has a show on FMTV. But she started out with nothing, no audience and no experience doing this, just like everybody else. And so I think her journey is going to be really inspirational for you. Okay, now let's jump into this interview with Elizabeth Ryder. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So how did I come across you? I wanted to tell this little story. So back in like 2011, when I was starting IIN, train as a health coach, I started searching online for health coaches and you were the one that kept coming up over and over and over. (laughs) And back then, I swear the only two health coaches I could find were like you and then like Sarah Wilson in Australia. (laughs) And so you've kind of been on my radar you know, since then. And I think you're a really great example of what a health coach can do online. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. I'm sure a lot of people are also familiar with your brand. So I'm excited to learn more about it. So can we start and can you just give us an idea of how did you get started online? And and when was that? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I love talking to people in this space and other health coaches. So hi to everyone who's listening and thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I was working at Ernst & Young, I was, which is a professional services firm, a big four accounting firm. And I actually really liked my job. I was progressing fast through the company and they treated me really well. So I like had a great gig in corporate America, but I just saw golden handcuffs in my future. I was like, there's no way I can do this for 30 years, working 80 hours a week, <laughs> traveling almost every week, doing the whole thing. And I was just super interested in health and wellness. I just loved buying like self magazine and shape and all of the magazines. And and at the time, you know, mind body green wasn't around, there weren't a lot of online resources for that kind of stuff. So those types of websites, so I just would devour everything I could in magazines. And I had actually been asked by a woman to run help run her supplement business. 
So I ended up leaving my job at Ernst and Young and our deal was kind of like, I would help her for a few years as a freelancer and then I could start my own business. And it was kind of all at the same time. It all happened when I came across the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and I wasn't even searching for a health coach certification. I didn't even know what that meant. I think I was, I was in a, a forum somewhere and somebody mentioned something about the Institute for Integrative Nutrition launching their online version of their course in New York. So I clicked on that and I clicked through it a few times and I was like, wow, this is so me. This is so cool. I would love to do this. And kind of like you, you know, back in the day, I think this was 2010 when this was happening. There wasn't even anything to research. If you Googled integrative nutrition, it basically just came up with their website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there totally. wasn't like a lot. There. And it, I did their very first uh, distance learning program. So I was living in Denver, Colorado. They sent me a little red iPod with all of the course material on it. Yep. So it was like so different than it is now. I went through that and, you know, just kind of as I, so, and then there was a forum online. So I did the course on the iPod and then I would connect in this, like not even Facebook. I don't think I had a Facebook account at this point or it was inactive. I think I had Facebook in college and I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. So I I made it inactive. And then somebody in the forum posted something about Marie Forleo's B-School. So I checked that out and I didn't really know. And if people aren't familiar with that, that's an online program. Marie Forleo is kind of you know, legendary in online business and teaching people how to do online business. And I had no idea what that was or anything about it, but I just, I clicked on it and I was like, I need to know this, whatever she's teaching, I need to know it. And at the time I didn't have any extra money. Money was really stretched, but I had figured out how to make it work. I took B school and it was in the second module of B school. It's an eight week course. I just had like the clouds parted for me. It was like angels were singing to me. And I realized I was like, I can teach because Marie's basically teaching you how to do an online, how to teach an online course, mm-hmm. um, how to do business online. And it's her program's really evolved since then. You know, it's, it's a, it's probably twice as big as it is now, as far as content goes. But back in the day, she was really teaching you how to do business online. And I had this epiphany that the way she was teaching me to do business, I could teach other people about nutrition. So I could take whatever I wanted to teach about nutrition. I could create an online course and sell it the way she was selling it. So I just had this like massive moment where I was like, I got it. I can do this. This is so funny because like for health coaches just starting now, it's like everyone's teaching health in online courses, but just like six or seven years ago, the time that we're talking about, it just didn't exist. No, no, not at all. And in fact, hugely revolutionary. Yeah. It was so revolutionary. And it was kind of to the point where as I like started to like have the revelation and started doing other things, I couldn't even find anybody else teaching online nutrition programs. I couldn't find another one. You know, that was just like this first like massive epiphany for me is like, I need to teach. And, you know, at this point, I've put over 10,000 people through online programs, which has been a huge blessing for me. And I just, I, you know, a big part of it is, is I found the modality that I like to teach in. You know, I think sometimes people think it sounds great to teach online courses, but then they realize that they are much better in person and they prefer in-person contact. And I don't know if it's, you know, whatever it is about my personality or the way I do business, I just really like found my groove teaching online courses. Awesome. So kind of fast forward us then to what your business looks like today, because you've got quite a different few different components going on in your business. I saw you're teaching on FMTV right now, and you've got like, oh gosh, like affiliate products and your own products and some mentoring. And so what, (laughs) what, give us the overview. One of everything. So, you know, I think it's a good lesson too, as my business started to grow, people started asking me, you know, how are you doing that? And people just started asking me to teach them different things. So I think I almost at, at first I was, and I'm still, you know, every day I'm like, am I doing too much? 
was kind of just doing what everybody asked of me, hence different mentorship programs and business programs, where at the heart of it, I really love teaching the health and I really love being a health coach. I do find a lot of satisfaction teaching other people how to do business too. And I've, I've had a lot of success with that. So these days I split my time kind of 50-50 between teaching the online health courses that are for the general public and then teaching health coaches how to build an online business. And then, you know, things like the reason that I've been able to continue to do that is because I've maintained my blog. And, you know, people ask like, how do you solve people coming to you? Where are your customers coming from? And in my particular case, my answer is my blog. I've made, I've been blogging for seven years and I've built a following in an audience, kind of like you were talking before we got started, you were talking about a podcast, how people kind of become regular listeners and they look forward to the next episode coming in. They're excited about it. You know, a blog's really the same thing where I've been blogging recipes for about seven years and that just continuously drives traffic to my website. I want to like dig into that a little bit more um, and get your thoughts on some of this. So one thing I noticed, and I should have Googled right before the interview and I didn't, but when I used to Google, like become a health coach, you would mm-hmm. come up like your website was like super strong in SEO for that. Mm. Um, must have been or something, or maybe it was just me. Yeah. I was just finding you all the time, but <laughs> sure. Um, I think it's, the, yeah. Yeah. If you want to know why. <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, what do you think it's, is it just the seven years or what have you done that you think has contributed to getting such good organic traffic on your website? Yeah. Like I've never spent any money or time worrying about SEO in particular, as far as like keywords and whatnot. It's more, I think Google has a huge affinity for time. So it's the seven years. They also have a, a huge affinity for traffic. And just because I've been blogging for so long too. And, and let me just say this, anybody who's listening, who's just getting started, this doesn't mean that you won't have that. I don't want you to think like, oh, I need, had to have started seven years ago in order for this to work. That's not true because at some point I was new too and the internet had been around for a long time. So don't I don't want anybody listening to ever think that just because they didn't start seven years ago doesn't mean that they won't have the same thing. But I have a few recipes. Like if you Google healthy homemade granola, mine's the first one that comes up, vegan French onion soup and some different ones where literally tens of thousands are coming a month to my website. So Google likes the fact that there are multiple pages driving a large amount of traffic. They see that as a good thing. And then time. And a lot of that has to do with, it doesn't have to do with, you know, hiring an SEO company. It has to do with great content. The reason people keep coming back to that recipe is because I worked on that recipe. I tested it like 20 times and it's a delicious recipe. So content is still king. You know, having great content matters. You can have the most beautiful design and spend all this money on these different metrics. But if you don't have good content, you're not going to get the traffic. Totally. I'm glad you said that because I do think time plays a big factor. I mean, it just, as you have more consistent content and good content over time, you start to rank higher, but also like people get really hung up. Like people just starting out about, Oh my gosh, should I do something with SEO and what should my keywords be? And Honestly, I don't think it really matters right in the beginning because no matter how good your keywords are, like you're still, I don't think you're going to rank very well (laughs) just because you're just starting out. And so what you need to do, I I like what you said is just that, you know, it's about producing really good content and doing it consistently. And if you do that, even for a few months, like you'll start to build a following and it's like a snowball effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any kind of following that you'll build, you have to give time because always put yourself in the perspective of a customer. You know, it's funny to me when I go to a website sometimes and I literally haven't even made it through the first sentence of a blog post and their pop-up comes up like 10 times. And I'm like, I haven't even read a paragraph here. Let me at least make sure that I like the paragraph I'm reading before you give me a pop-up. And when people like what they see, they'll come back. You know, as far as SEO goes, 
what I would tell people, and if you're not familiar, SEO is search engine optimization. If anybody's listening, who's not familiar with that. And there are companies that charge a lot of money and you can get really technical. And I don't think that you need to do that. A few small things that you do need to do is that when you upload, before you upload a picture, like if I'm uploading a picture of healthy homemade granola, I rename the picture healthy homemade granola. So the names of your pictures before you upload them, not to Facebook or to social media, but to your WordPress website, they do matter. So that matters as far as the title of your post. If you're blogging healthy homemade granola, make sure the title is healthy homemade granola, not like the best recipe you'll ever eat. And it doesn't have the name of the recipe in the title. So a few small things like that are important. But in the grand scheme of things, you're not going to be able to game the system because Google changes their algorithm all the time. You're not going to be able to stay ahead of their algorithm. It's just great content and then making sure you name things appropriately. So let's talk about websites a little bit, because I think you have a new website coming out uh, very soon. Yeah. So, and I know this is an area where like new wellpreneurs start to feel really stuck. Like they see these amazing online presences and then they feel like they should have that right out of the, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah. So what was your first website? Like, how did you get started online? Oh, for free, for sure. So I don't even, and I I should Google this because I say this all the time to people and I don't know if it's still around. But Google has a product called Blogger, B-L-O-G-G-E-R. And I had a Google Blogger blog is how I got started. And it was, I think it was even before I became a health coach. I just loved the idea of remaking recipes into healthier options. So I would just, you know, this is how I make healthier spaghetti. Or, you know, at the time, like I didn't even know what quinoa was and, you know, all these different things. I was just remaking recipes. And Then as I became a health coach and I started, you know, sharing those on Facebook and they started being shared a lot, it kind of grew from there. But my first blog was on Blogger for free. And then I think the next year as, you know, people, and I didn't even have an email list. Back then it was RSS subscribing. Mm -hmm. I paid a woman who I found in the footer of another website, paid her a hundred dollars, which at the time was a big investment for me to design a pretty header. My picture wasn't even the header. It was just like stock images of food. And then I had that website for another year or two. And then I moved to WordPress and I did my own self-installation of WordPress on my, I think I was using HostGator at the time, self-installation of WordPress. And I bought elegant themes. I bought a theme for $40 and totally did the whole thing myself. Self, I just used Google and used YouTube and just taught myself. And elegant themes is a WordPress theme site and they're still around and they're great. And I just use their tutorials to teach myself. and then. As my business started to grow a couple of years later, when I had enough money, I paid for my current website that everybody's probably looking at. Marta Spandowska did it, who's now a fine artist. She retired from web design. She doesn't do web design anymore. And when my website came out at the time, it was really cutting edge the way she had designed it. It was all Marta. You know, I gave her the pictures and the copy, but she, she did the whole visual of it. She did such, she did a wonderful job. I was really happy with it, but it wasn't, it wasn't for like three or four years, maybe after being in business that I could even afford to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think, you know, for people starting out, like you don't need to invest in a crazy fancy website. And especially because there's, you know, I'm also on WordPress and I, I really think that's like the gold standard of what people should use. But for yes. example, Squarespace is a great place to get started because they look totally gorgeous and you can just set it up in a few minutes and then you can eventually like move onto a WordPress site when you get some revenue going. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're not anybody, you're not going to be a great health coach or blogger or insert your, you know, your profession there until you get a bunch of reps under your belt. 
you know, when I look back at, um, my first YouTube video, which I have taken off of YouTube since, because I look so terrified in it. <laughs> I'm like, I look like the camera's going to attack me. <laughs> it's like, I just like, look so afraid and it just wasn't relevant anymore. And that's why I ended up taking it down. And now, like you mentioned, I have my own TV show on FM TV, food matters TV. So, but the only way I was able to do that is just so many reps and you have to do your reps in public. Like they count. You have to get your blog posts out there. If people want to build a big blog, the way to do that is to start blogging. You might blog every week for a year and have 10 people read it. That's great. You have to keep going. You know, it doesn't happen that overnight, it doesn't happen like you do two blog posts and all of a sudden you're a famous blogger. That just doesn't happen. And honestly, I mean, I've mentioned this before on the show, but thank goodness that doesn't happen. So I started my natural beauty blog back like about the same time, like in like 2010, right? About the same Mm -hmm. time you were starting. And I was like desperate to get famous. I mean, I was just, I was blogging really like regularly, but I was like, oh, why aren't my posts like, why aren't I in like the New York Times or something? You know, like I really (laughs) wanted to hit it big. And when I look back now, I'm like, thank God that didn't happen because I wasn't, I, it was like not my best content. Like my photos were really bad. Like I didn't really have my voice. My writing wasn't so good. Like I just wasn't ready. And so I think you make a really good point in that, you just have to do the work consistently and you'll develop into what you're supposed to be. And your audience grows with you as you really start to align with that. And yeah. So you don't really want to hit it huge, right? Like the second you start your business, actually, I think. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think you're re- people are rewarded for consistency. You just made me think of a few things. I think I have a video. Well, I know I have a video in my wellness business bootcamp program where I had luckily, I'm so grateful for this because otherwise I don't, I wouldn't have any screenshots or even any visuals of what my old blog looked like. Cause I didn't occur to me to like take photos of them when I got it redone. And I show people like my first blogger website and then with the designed header and then what my self-installation of WordPress looks like. And then the next iteration of what Marta Smodowska did for me. And I have this new website coming out this fall that is just cutting edge. It's designed from the ground up. The functionality is amazing. The design's brand new. And I'm kind of afraid to leave my current website. And I remember being afraid to leave my previous websites. But I want people to see the evolution that all of my websites have gone through in the past seven years. Because sometimes I think when people land on a really well-designed website that somebody paid a lot of money for, they're like, oh, well, how do I start with that? And it's like, well, you don't start with that. I didn't start with that. You have to start back to basics. And then you'll know where you want to go from there. There's no way I possibly could have imagined what I wanted in my current website when I started. There's just no way. So what's the first thing you sold online? The first thing I sold was a program, a a nutrition program called the Hot Body Nutrition School. I had obviously not had any copywriting experience or naming a program experience. That was just the first thing that popped into my head. It was a 28-day program. I incorporated supplements and shakes into it. And I had two people go through the first iteration. And I found those two people in person at a networking event in Denver. So the two people who went through my first ever nutrition program didn't even find me online. And I think that's kind of a a place where people mess up. They build this online program expecting the internet to just flock to it. Where really, especially in the beginning, you have to be driving people either in person or referrals or, you know, people within your network to your online program. Then they have success and it kind of grows from there. And then, you know, all of a sudden, two years later, I had at the same time, 150 people registering for one, one um, iteration of the program. What was going through your head when you got two people in person to sign up for your program? Like, I, you- did, I was like, great. I was like, oh, I think I wanted four, but two is good. 
Okay, I awesome, because a lot of expectations. A lot of people would be like, oh, this sucks. I suck. I'm never going to do it again. And online programs don't work. And then they, because I hear this all the time. People get like, yeah. they're like, I'm going to have 50 people sign up for my program. And then they have like five. And they're like, that's it. Like this program doesn't work. What do you think about that? I have so many thoughts on that. So the first thing I think is a hard truth that doing business online is not for everyone. So I think some people are teaching in a modality that they don't want to teach in, or they're not particularly good at, or they don't want to spend the time getting good at. The second thing is that people maybe haven't done the right education to learn how to build an online program that works. You know, there's this really delicate balance of that you have to spend money to make money. And for me, bar none, I've always invested in my education. Before I've bought like a fancy handbag, I don't even really buy fancy handbags, but you know, before I had the money to like buy a designer dress or nice shoes or, you know, take a vacation, I would always put that money back into education to learn from people who had done it. So that benefited me hugely. I think I also just, I had business experience from Ernst and Young. So I understand that even a 1% conversion rate is considered a good conversion rate. So if you only have 10% or 10 people on your email list, you're probably not going to have anybody sign up. If you have a hundred people on your email list and you get one sign up, that's a great conversion rate. Yes. Great conversion rate. And you might not, and, and, and one is a high conversion rate. So you might get 0.5%. So, you know, it's that whole, everything is just very feeds into itself. It's like, well, how do you get the email list? It's like, well, you have to be doing things like blogging or other list building activities to build the list for people to do the program. It's kind of like the chicken or the egg. What comes first, the audience or the program, right? You, you can build the best program in the world. And if you don't have an audience, it's like writing a, the best novel ever written. And if you can't get it into people's hands, no one's going to know that it, how great it was. And I, I just actually was mentoring a woman who's who's graduating from her health coach certification here in the next year. And she's in this like deep process of putting together a nutrition program. And I told her, I said, honey, you're recreating your health coach certification into a program. Are you sure that that's what your audience wants? Or is that just what you think that they need to know? So there's this big difference between what you think people need to know and what they're interested in knowing. And oftentimes people just create way too long, way too in-depth of programs when people just wanted something more high level with actionable hacks and tips. So really, if you're thinking about all the time that you would spend on an online program, probably 30% of it is creating the content and 70% of it's marketing the content. Mm -hmm. I yeah. know. And I think that, I mean, that was a big revelation for me. And I think it can be kind of frustrating for people because they're like, oh, I went into this because I want to be teaching nutrition and health. But actually, like if you're doing the on like an online business, a huge part of it is marketing. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because people just don't come to you. You have to go out and find find your tribe. And being really clear about who you're talking to. Um, and I'm guilty of this in some of my programs and I've had to go back and shorten things a lot because we end up as health coaches trying to, even in my blog post, we're trying to talk to our peers and get into the science of things and the really in-depth things when really, when I look at my audience is women who are professionals and moms, and they literally have five minutes to learn from me a day. So I can't give them an hour long video every day. I can't give somebody a 15 hour program. They won't do it. It will never be completed and they won't get their value out of it. What they really want is five to 10 minutes a day of me just telling them, this is what happens when you eat this. This is what happens when you eat this. These are the signs to look for. Wait two hours and see if this happens and just, and let them go. Not like I'm going to pin you down and make you understand the science of the mitochondria. 
You know, like that's just not what most people want to learn. If they wanted to do that, they're going to go, you know, get their own health coach certification themselves. Totally. So I want to turn back to blogging just for one second. I'm really curious on how you've seen it evolve over the past few years because so many more different types of content have come into play now, right? So in the beginning, blogging was amazing. That was the thing that attracted loads of people. But now there's also video, there's podcasts, there's social media. So have you, what have you noticed in terms of like blogging and what you've had to do to respond to the changes? And have you noticed that change? Yeah, absolutely. So a long time ago, I heard a woman who teaches online business named Laura Roeder um, talk about what she called the no like trust factor. People get to know you, they like you, and then they trust you. So people kind of go through this process of, and you know, always put yourself back into a position, think about bloggers that you like or people who you follow. How did you get to know them, like them, and trust them? That usually takes them coming to your website a few times, being part of your community for a while before they trust you. So whether you you're always having people go through that process with you. They know you, they like you, and then they trust you. Whether that's through blogging or podcasting or whatever it is, I think when you're choosing what your modality will be, the first question always has to go back to who am I serving and where are they hanging out? So if you are serving you know, uh, baby boomer women, helping them with their hormones, podcasting probably is not a great idea because they're not hanging out on podcasts. <laughs> if you're super into teaching millennials, how to build beautiful smoothie bowls, podcasts and Instagram stories would be a great place for you to hang out. So it's not, again, it's not what you want really necessarily where you want to hang out. It's you've got to be where your audience is. And you can adapt that either way. You can say, well, I want to hang out on Instagram stories. Therefore, my audience is going to be this. I think innately, we're all good at teaching certain things to certain people. So you know, I've had people contact me over the years, like I'm really struggling from recovering from an eating disorder you know, and going into a long story and I'll email them back and be like, I, you know, my heart is so open for you. And I, I wish you the best. I'm going to, going to refer you to a few different health coaches. I know, because this is not my area of expertise and I don't feel like I can properly guide you through this. So really being clear about who you serve and who you're able to serve is really important. And I think from there you can go, whether it's blogging, you know, I think my audience has five minutes and they like to read, you know, as far as blogging goes, I've I've coached a lot of women through this too. I have a woman who I coach who is an acupuncturist and she's incredibly smart. She's very good at online business, but her blog post, she tends to write a dissertation because she gets into her head. What if another acupuncturist reads this? I need to make sure I know, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, honey, other, you don't care if other acupuncturists read it. Good for them if they do, good for them if they don't. You shouldn't even care what they think about you. You need to be talking to your patients in a way that they can understand these blog posts. You can't be talking in all of these crazy, you know, scientific terms that your patients want to understand. So whether your audience likes video or blog or reading or whatever it is, that's just where that's where you need to hang out. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I just want to reiterate that because that comes up quite a bit that I see wellpreneurs writing or creating content for each other, like at a really technical mm-hmm. level, like you were saying, and that's such yes. great advice. Like we just need to remember it's all about our customers. Yeah. And if you're, I think if you're intentionally you know, wanting your business to be focused on other health coaches, that's great. But if you're trying to build, teach women how to live healthier lives, really go back and reread any of your posts or look at your videos and say, was I talking to another health coach there trying to prove that I know what I'm talking about? Or am I talking to a woman who just wants tips and advice for me? So just being super clear about that. Did I answer your question? I hope I did. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm curious because I know you can say whether you've seen this or not, but I've seen like comments and interaction on actual blogs 
seeming to go down. And it's like the conversations move to social media. Have you found that? And how are you, like, how have you shifted your, where you engage with your tribe? Yeah, that's such a good point. Yes, I have seen that. So kind of back to what we talked about earlier in the episode, comments on a blog are tricky because they need to be moderated to a certain extent. And, you know, knock on wood for me, I feel very grateful. I haven't had a lot of negative comments. I've never had to deal with that. You know, I stay pretty high level with recipes and that kind of stuff. So people might say something like, well, quinoa is bad for you and you shouldn't recommend it. And that's a matter of opinion, but I don't get, you know, like attacked with negative comments, but having comments on your blog does drive up your search engine optimization because Google likes to know that people are adding comments, that people are interested if they're commenting. But I do think that there's more interaction on social media. That's just where we hang out. um, And it's where people are. So I don't really have a particular affinity to one or the other. I don't mind where people comment. You know, I think I also, as your business grows, I have to be very careful not to be tied to my business 24-7. And as much as I like to try to respond to everything, I cannot respond to everything. You know, you'll hear people say, respond to every comment, never leave a comment unresponded to. And I think I would literally have to work 24-7 if I responded to every single comment. That's just not even... So I think in the beginning, you should do that. And I still like make a big effort to go back through and and respond to comments. But, you know, I apologize to anyone out there if, if they've commented and I haven't had a chance to comment back. But I think, you know, you have to draw some boundaries with your business too. Otherwise, you're not living the life that you're promoting. I wonder if you can share a bit about what your team looks like today. So one of my biggest weaknesses, think something I'm not very good at is outsourcing. I, and I'm getting a lot better at that in delegating. I have a wonderful assistant who I, I tell her she can make up her own title. Sometimes she's the chief happiness officer or the chief customer service specialist or <laughs> who does a lot for me. Like she answers a lot of my emails, contact form, different things. She does small projects for me, helps me, you know, stay organized and does a bunch for me. So I adore her. Her name's Nicole. Other than that, it's all freelancers. So I have a web designer, a web developer, and a few different contractors that I work with, but I don't have people on full staff and that's on purpose. I intentionally run a very lean business because the reason I got into this was so that I didn't have to manage a big team. When I worked for Ernst Young, I remember I was 25 and I had projects where I was managing teams of 25 people when I was working on these different consulting projects. And to me, I love what I do. But I can't, I just, I don't, I didn't want to create a situation where I had to show up from for eight to, from eight to five every day, managing a huge team. So I like to work with contractors because it's usually project-based um, and I've developed some great relationships with different contractors over time, but I don't have any other people full, on full-time staff. So we're getting to the end of our time together, but I wonder if you could go back to when you were just starting in 2010 and give yourself some advice, some words of wisdom from the future. What would you say? Oh, Mm. <laughs> a few things. Well, one, just, just keep trucking would be a big one. Like I think my younger self really needed to hear that it will all be okay. I think I spent so much time worrying about the future that I wasn't really living in the present. And some of the best advice I ever read was actually in Daphne Oz's book, Relish. And she talks about how we tend to start to live a placeholder life where we're like, oh, well, in five or in two years, once I'm launch this program or, you know, in a year, once I've launched this program or in two years, once I'm making money or in five years, you know, once I'm married and have kids, then I'll like, you know, put the pictures on the wall and settle in, you know, we live in the future of what the potential of the future can look like instead of living in the present. And the potential of the future is wonderful. And we should always be dreaming and having big ideas and expanding on where we want to go. So it's not that you shouldn't do that, but it's equally important to just 
relish where you're at and live in the present and, you know, just be grateful for where you're at. So I think, I think my, um, in 2010, that's one of the things that I, I would have liked to have heard, but, um, I also wouldn't change anything. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've had heartbreak. I've had things that didn't work out. I mean, I've had, you know, tons of emotional ups and downs, but I don't think I would change any of it. I think all of that journey is what makes me a good teacher today. You know, if we haven't had anything that exploded on us or that imploded or that didn't go right, we wouldn't have anything to teach. So we have to be open to those those moments because it makes us better teachers. Great words of wisdom. Thank you, Elizabeth. So thanks so much for being here. I'm sure people will want to come check out your new website and learn more about what you do and work with you. So let us know how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Elizabeth Ryder, R-I-D-E-R.com. And the new website will launch, I think, end of September or beginning of October 2017. So I'm really excited about that. And all of the blog posts, everything will be coming over. So you can go there now and still see all the great stuff, but you'll see the new design this fall. All of my programs are at programs.elizabethwriter.com. You can also get those on my website. And there's a free 10 recipe download on my website too that anybody can access. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thanks for everybody who's listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Health Coach Careers Podcast. If you're thinking about becoming a health coach, don't forget to download my free Health Coach Decision Kit to help you decide if health coaching is the right next step for you. Download the decision kit at wellpreneur.com slash decision kit.